0: Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento, and man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it, so get ready to receive from God today. Hey, so good to have you guys here. We have kicked off an all-new series called The Elephant Room, and uh, here's what I've seen, man, in the church. We aren't always okay with the hard questions. I think that for a long time people would come in, and maybe you had this experience, you came into church and and the hard questions weren't welcome, but I wanna tell you, God's not afraid of your questions. In fact, one thing we say at this church is you don't have to believe to belong here. And what we mean by that is you may be just starting this faith journey. You may, may be just interested in God and we want you to, you to know you belong here just as you are. Now our heart and our belief and our hope is that one day you would come to know Jesus because we believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through him. But I do want to tell you that even now in maybe your unbelief or your questions or Or just you beginning this faith journey that you can belong here at Project Church. And so in this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at some of the big elephants in the room in the church. Some of the hot button topics that maybe we've avoided. And uh, the one we've come to today is one that I wrestled with this whole week. Honestly, God made me really uncomfortable. How many are ready to get uncomfortable in here today? God made me really uncomfortable this week. And I was like, God, I don't like this. And he's like, I know, but the church needs this. And so here I, I've come to you and I'm going to share something uh, with you that I believe is going to make us uncomfortable. But I believe it's because God wants to have us to have a holy discontent when it comes to the materialism of this world. And so today I want to talk to you about the gospel and poverty versus prosperity. So listen, every week it is the gospel... In a different topic because at the end of the day it's the gospel that makes us live different than this world. The gospel causes us to be counterculture and the church has to be counterculture. We have to look different. And so how you manage your money, what you do with your money, uh, how you approach your purchases, how you approach what God has given you, it has to look different than this world. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I know some of you right now are like Caleb, come on man. Like You can talk about anything but don't talk about my money. Like, I earned this. I worked for this. I've worked hard for this. I've accomplished a lot to get this. Let me tell you, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about any other topic. A third of his parables were about money. And so I think it's good and we need to talk about money more in the church because I believe that when we begin to live different with our money, God is going to release something different in us and through us. How many want to be blessed? Let me tell you something. God blesses us. When we in turn learn to live as a blessing in this world. So let's talk about the gospel and prosperity versus poverty. You guys ready? All right. So last weekend I wasn't here because I played in a three-day golf tournament. And uh, some of you are like, you skipped church to play golf? Amen. I did. I was ministering to those greens. Uh, you know, the, sometimes the Lord calls, calls us places, and I say, Lord, here am I, send me. We're suffering for Jesus. And so I was out there playing in this three-day golf tournament, and I got invited last minute, and it was a very expensive golf tournament to play in, but it was a fundraiser. And uh, a guy had dropped out, and I knew somebody that had sponsored him, and so he invited me to take his spot. So I went. It was a three-day tournament, NorCal versus SoCal. Uh, pop, it, it was a Ryder Cup format. And so the first day I'm playing against this guy, and and he's an incredible golfer, and and we start talking, and he starts to tell me about his business. He said, I stumbled across this golf business. A couple guys had bugged me to invest in this startup where they were trying to make cool golf clothing with a SoCal vibe to it. And so they started this golf clothing company called Travis Matthew. I I invested in it, and uh, before you knew it, the thing had taken off and exploded, and uh, I eventually bought these guys out. And then two years ago, I sold it to Callaway. He says, I sold it to Callaway for $125 million. And I realized very quickly that I was in a room and with people that I had nothing in common with, okay. I'm like, well, I live in a 1,300 square foot house in Rosemont. Like, let's play some golf. And, uh, and it was quickly that I realized, like, man, I'm around a lot of guys that had a lot of money. But they were investing in something kingdom driven. Something called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It was a fundraiser for that. And so as I was talking to him, he said something to me that I actually wrote down because it spoke to me so much. This is what this man who sold a business for $125 million said to me. He said, Caleb, I wake up every day and I ask God to protect my heart from covetousness. He said I wake up every day and I ask God to make sure I don't become boastful in my wealth. He said I wake up every day and I ask God to help me steward what he's given me well for the kingdom. So I think that sometimes we hear this and I and you guys are out, out there thinking like man, yeah, those are the rich people that Jesus was talking about. That guy Um, those are the rich people that, that, you know, the scriptures are about. It's that kind of guy. But let me tell you something. If you own a car, you are in the richest 4% of people in the entire world. If you make more than $39,000 a year, you are in the top 2% of earners in the entire world. So I just want to put it in perspective right now. And I want you to say out loud for me right now. Everybody say, I'm rich. Say it. In terms of the rest of the world, we as Americans are rich. And we live in a material world, and a lot of you are material girls, okay? And, uh, (laughs) sorry, I just had to throw it in there. Uh, no, we live in a very materialistic world, and I believe it is the greatest threat to American Christianity. Not the culture that we live in, not the sexual perverse culture that is surrounding us, not the internet, not cell phones, right? Not TV, not not this pervasive culture that we're stuck in. It's materialism that is the greatest threat to the American church. And so I want today to challenge us because I believe God wants us to live different than this world. Counterculture to this world when it comes to our money. So let's read, I'm going to jump around, I'm, I'm jumping, I don't usually do this. This is a topical sermon. So I typically preach textually, and what I mean by that is expository type of preaching where I go verse by verse through a passage of scripture. That's what we typically do. We've been going through Mark, the book of Mark, for the entire year. We're going to come back to it in three more weeks. But uh, we're taking a little break, and in this series is going to be a little more topical. So today I'm going to jump around in between different scriptures, okay? So a little different than normal for us. 1 John three seventeen says this, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So I wanted to start with this because I think that we live in a world that is desperate. And this world is hungry and it's full of poverty and many of us have never traveled to another country so we haven't really seen it. Or you haven't driven um, around parts of downtown like you probably should from time to time to really see it. But the reality is that poverty is all around us. And yet we live in this material world where we get so inward focused and so focused on what I need and what I need to have and what I need to buy that we miss being who God has called us to be. So here's what I want to talk to you about today. I I think that as the church of Jesus, we need to care for the poor and care about the poor. Would you agree? And so I want to give you some keys to care. So touch your neighbor and say, you're about to get the keys. All right. Tell them, you're about to get the keys. Number one key to care is you need to work diligently. Work diligently. I actually think in the church for a long time, uh, we heard that, like, man, if we love Jesus, we're not going to ever be rich. We're just going to be poor. And I don't believe that's what the gospel says. That's not what the scriptures say. In fact, I believe that God actually calls some of us to be rich. Because when we're rich, we have an opportunity to do something that many people don't get to do. To be generous in a way that others can't be generous. To bless in this world in a way that others are unable to bless. Now, it starts though with working. How many know that the most spiritual thing you can do is work a mundane job? If every one of us were preachers and missionaries, you know, around the world, this culture would not work well. This world would not work. We'd all be homeless. We'd have no food. We don't need, right, a bunch of preachers and pulpits and missionaries all around the world. We need some, and some are called to that, but most of you are called to just work jobs, and to work hard and to work well and to be successful and to make money. I think one of the most often overlooked and overemphasized ways that we can provide for the poor is to work. Do you guys know that when you just work a job and provide like commerce in our culture, you are making a way to provide for the poor. By purchasing and buying things and being a part of of the trade that we live in and the culture that we live in, like you're actually providing a way to provide for the poor. And so working a job and making money is good. In fact, in Genesis 2:15, we see the first charge that God gave to man or Adam was to work. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, ever say work it and keep it. Say, keep it. This was the first command. God said, You need to work. I know some of you, maybe physically you're unable to work. Mentally, maybe there's some challenges you can't work. But for the majority of us, we need to work. And we need to work hard. Not that we need to be the best workers. You should be, as a Christian, you should be the best worker. You should always be on time. Come on, somebody. I'm married to a Filipino. We're still praying about it every day. Trying to get on time to places. Okay, me and Chrissy, we pray, we intercede. Lord, help us be on time, Jesus. You should be on time. You should work harder. Man, as followers of Christ, we should be the best workers, the hardest workers, the workers that everyone wants to hire. Why? Because that's what God has called us to, to work, to keep, because we're a blessing when we do. Work hard. Be successful. People, People often say, well, you can't be rich if you love Jesus. I say no. Work hard. Make as much money as possible, but manage it God's way. He gives us instruction on how to do that. So listen, it's not about the money you make or the amount of money you make. It's how you steward the money that you make. It's what you do with the money that you make. So you all need to, right now, highlight this verse, underline it, write it in your journal, put it somewhere for you to read because this is instruction for rich people. And guess what? As Americans, we rich. Everybody say, we rich. This is for you, this is for me. You ready? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. This is, I think, the greatest instruction in all the scripture for rich people, which is us. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. This is what my friend prayed. He said, Lord, help me not to become prideful in my wealth, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. How many know as quick as money can come, it can go? So you can't set your hope on money because it may not last. Nor to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Did you see that part? Some of you feel guilty about the money you make and that you get to have some fun with it. Let me tell you, God gave it to you. He said enjoy it. Last weekend, I was on them greens. Every shot, I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Yes, I'm going to enjoy this. Every putt, oh, yes, Jesus, thank you. I enjoyed those three golf rounds on some of the most, you know, nice, the nicest, most expensive courses I've ever played in my life. I enjoyed it. Why? Because sometimes God blesses you. And the scriptures actually tell us, as long as you're putting your hopes not on the uncertainty of riches, on God, and knowing he provided you with everything, you can enjoy it. So enjoy the fruits of your labor. Enjoy what God has blessed you with. Don't walk around feeling guilty about it. But then it goes on. It says, but they are to do good. So you can't just enjoy it. You also have to do good works. It says, be rich in good works. It says, be generous and ready to share. Some of you are all about enjoying, but not about sharing. You need to enjoy and share. Be generous, ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. You see, this is about your future. This is about your foundation. We are called to work hard. Why? So then we can enjoy what we've done, the fruits of our labor, and then bless other people. You bless your family members. You help them. You bless your neighbors. You bless your your, your brothers and sisters in Christ that maybe have a need. You bless the poor in this world. You give generously. So I recently, a couple months ago, there was this Instagram that came out called Preachers and Sneakers. How many have heard of this? Just a couple of you. Okay, I'm going to inform you uh, who haven't heard about it. This Instagram went viral. It blew up a couple hundred thousand followers overnight. Here's what it was. This individual started taking pictures of preachers in the shoes and the clothes that they were wearing. And then next to the image, he would post how much the shoes or clothes cost. So here's an example. This is one of the posts. So here we have some preachers. I don't know, you maybe you know them. I don't know most of these guys, but one of them was rocking some $431 Yeezys. Another one was watching walking rocking some Nike lows that were $550. And then another one, some Jordan 10s lows that were $315. And so this Instagram like blew up and everybody was ticked. I mean, every comment is just, these guys are taking the money of tithes, tithe money, and they're spending it on these ridiculous shoes and clothing. And, and I mean, there's jackets that some of these guys are wearing that cost $3,000 and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I know some of you right now are like, this is horrible, right? So don't worry, everybody. I'm rocking my $39 H&M boots today, okay? Just want to let you know. If I've caused some of you to stumble, I'm sorry. Uh, don't judge. $39, maybe that's too much for you, but, you know, that's how I get down. Um, but I start. I, I mean, I saw it and I was torn on it because on one hand, I'm like, look, who am I to judge? I've bought things that probably I didn't really need, maybe things that are a little more decadent in terms of, of mindset and, and, and I've probably blessed myself maybe more than I should have at times. In the same way, some of these guys have sold books. They travel around the world and they've made money and it's up to them and, between them and God, how they spend their money, and I'm not going to judge. Plus, I'm a pastor. I get criticized all the time. I don't want to criticize other preachers because I know that criticism might come back my way someday. But then on the other hand, I'm going, but shouldn't we use wisdom? Shouldn't we live different as pastors and and maybe we do purchase clothing that's a little more humble? And and I was torn. And then Judas Smith uh, got interviewed about it. And he's one of the most well known preachers in in the country. He had been put on there because he was rocking a $3,000 Gucci jacket. And in the interview, he said, Actually, I think preachers and sneakers is a good thing. He said, I do think that a lot of us pastors have got pulled into the materialism of this world. And all of us are taking a long look in the mirror and we're having a little gut check at this moment. And I was like, You know what? I hear that too. So I want to challenge us because it's very easy for us to judge others, isn't it? It's easy to judge a preacher and be like, how could they spend $300 on a pair of shoes? But then I think y'all have bought some things that if I really saw it on a screen, I might judge you. And so I think that all of us need to, at the end of the day, look at ourselves and say, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to pray the prayer that my friend prayed. That I wake up in the morning and I say, God, help me to not covet what other people have. Help me to make sure I don't become boastful in my wealth. Help me to steward what you've given me for the kingdom well. You see, I've had moments of of making purchases that you would probably judge me on. And I've also had moments where I've sacrificed because I felt God speaking me to sacrifice. At the end of the day, it's between you and God. I think we all need to take a look in the mirror. We all need to manage our money God's way. We all need to say, God, is this purchase honoring and glorifying to you? So first, key to care is to work diligently. Make money. Make as much money as you can because then you can bless more people. All right, y'all? Number two, live simply. Oh, I I don't know if you guys are down with this one, um, but there's this movement right now happening. It's called minimalism. How many we got any minimalists in the house? You a fan of it? You like it? Okay, only a couple of you. Congratulations. My wife was all about uh, minimalism. A, a few months back, we actually downsized our house. We went from 1,800 square feet to 1,300 square feet. And, uh, and, and man, she was all about it. Marie Kondo, does this give me joy? Like, I'm getting rid of it. I mean, she was about that minimalism life. But then we actually had to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can be all about minimalism, but then you move into a house that's a third smaller, you know, than, than your last one, and then it's like, oh, this just got real. We currently have five boxes of clothes sitting in our garage because we have nowhere to put them. So if anybody wants, I'm going to have a garage sale, you can come, get down. Chrissy has way more clothes than me. She says it's the opposite, but the truth has come out now. Listen, money is not evil. Money is not evil. And sometimes we say money is evil. It's not evil, but money in the hands of sinful people can be very dangerous. And we are all sinful people. And in this culture, we, we live in a culture of the newest and the best. I mean, let me be real with you the new iPhone's coming out, iPhone 11. I'm already getting excited. I need that new, new, right? I need that new iPhone, that new house, that new car, that new boat, that new toy, those new shoes. I saw some of those kicks on preacher's sneakers and I got covetous. I began to covet what I saw. 1 Timothy 6, 9-10 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money. You see that? It's not money that's evil. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. I just want to tell you, money is not evil. Managing money money God's way is not evil. Having blessings and being able to enjoy the fruits of your labor is not evil. But we have to constantly look ourselves in the mirror. Come to God and say, God, help me to use what you've given me well. Help me to steward it with wisdom. Help me to honor you with what you've given me. I want to enjoy it, but I also want to bless. I want to be generous. I want to give. I think that the only weapon we have against this culture and to move us forward into a more simple way of honoring God is the gospel. That's why we have to constantly come back to the gospel, the good news of Christ, that Jesus gave his life so we could have life, that Jesus challenged us to take up our cross and to follow him. We have to constantly come back to that. I think that a lot of us in this place, our lives have become too complex. And let me tell you, when your life is too complex, it makes it very hard to be generous. And so some of us in this room need to look in the mirror and say, God, how do I simplify? Because if I am living more simply, I'm able to give more, to bless more, to to, to be more generous. Number three, we need to give sacrificially. There was a church in Placerville, actually the church that Sam and Carly came from, who I just introduced to you. uh, Their church is Vantage Point Church in Placerville. And this is a church that isn't very large. It doesn't have a ton of money. In fact, I think per capita giving, our our giving is larger. And yet when they heard we were doing, uh, we bought a building, we needed to furnish it. They sent us a check. The pastor sent us a check for $500. He said, I want to bless you. I want to seed into what you guys are doing. I believe that was giving out of, it was a sacrificial gift. And that honors God. When we give sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 8, 2-4 says this, for in a severe test of affliction, so let me just set this up real quick. The church in Corinth is going through a recession, all right. All of Israel is struggling financially. And so you guys remember 2008? Y- y'all remember that? Um, some of you are too young. You were like in elementary school. But some of you, you remember. Um, the church is struggling financially, but the church in Jerusalem is in a really tough spot and they need help. It says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The church in Corinth actually begged to give to the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It says that they gave according to their means, but also beyond their means. They gave sacrificially to help those who were in need. This is what I'm talking about, giving sacrificially. I think a lot of us are tipping God. We're saying, God, here's your tip. I'm just going to throw a little bit in at the end. Just to say thank you. Instead of, God, I want to give sacrificially out of the overflow of what you've given me. I want to go beyond what maybe is comfortable for me. When was the last time you gave something that made you uncomfortable? That's something that I ask myself often because I've been tithing since I was like 13 years old because my parents told me I had to. My dad's sitting over here. He's like, Caleb, you made some money, you got to tithe. I got $100 birthday money from my grandma. I gave $10 to the church. He, He ingrained it in me at a young age. And so I've been doing that. But let me tell you, it just became duty for me. It just became like something. I, I don't even think about it anymore. I just do it. I do, I, I do recurring giving because I don't have a faithfulness issue. I have a forgetfulness issue. So I just set it up. It comes out the same time every month so I don't forget. But then sometimes God says, I want you to give beyond that. And that's when things get real for me. Because so I'm like, God, I got bills. I got kids. These kids like to eat. You know what I'm saying? Like, God, I, I need green fee money. I'm trying to to hit hit the links, you know what I'm saying? Like, God, I need that new three wood. And and I start talking to God about the things I want and the things I need. And then sometimes God says, I want you to give above and beyond. I want you to give sacrificially. We're going to have an opportunity here in a moment to give to an organization called Convoy of Hope. We're going to get extra spiritual today, extra churchy up in here. We're going to have a second offering. Come on, somebody, for second offerings. Glory be to God. We ain't never done a second offering. We're about to get down up in here. So Convoy of Hope is in the Bahamas right now. If you didn't know, Dorian, um, Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas, ravaged it. Convoy of Hope was on the ground. I had the opportunity to go with Convoy of Hope to Haiti. 10 years after the earthquake that ravaged Haiti like almost 20 years ago, they were still there. All the other relief agencies had left, they were still there. Convoy of Hope feeds over 200,000 children all around the world every single day. When all the other relief agencies leave uh, the Bahamas, Convoy of Hope will still be there, meeting needs, providing uh, food, uh, helping rebuild homes training individuals in agriculture. This is what they do all around the world. This is an organization that we have researched, we've looked into, we've supported as a church, and we're going to take an offering at the end of today for that. But here's what I believe God was saying to me and that he wanted me to challenge you with. I felt like God was saying, I want you to challenge your church to give one day's wages to Convoy of Hope. And we're going to give all of it away to Convoy. So I don't know what that is for you. You can do the math. But last night, I was like, all right, God, I'm going to give one day's wages. So, so I gave what one day would be for me. This morning, when we got here, I had a guy in our church come up to Chrissy and I. And he handed us almost the exact amount that I would given last night. He said, hey, I want you to do something fun with your family this week. Now, I'm not saying if you give, somebody's going to hook you up in the lobby, okay, just so you know. But what I am saying is this is the kingdom of God. That God sees and he blesses. He doesn't always bless financially. He blesses in other ways. I've given many times and received nothing in return monetarily. But I received so many other blessings and faith building in me when I gave. You see, giving sacrificially is about growing in your faith. And so at the end of today, we're going to watch a video. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to give. A couple, man, it was probably a year ago. I was, uh, I had a friend call me. And he, I went to high school with him. And he said to me, he said, "Kay, I want to tell you a story. Uh, me and my wife were walking into Starbucks the other day in El Grove. And uh, there was a, a homeless individual, we thought, and he was waving at us and he waved us over. He was trying to wave us over and, and we did what most people would do when that happens. And we just looked straight and acted like we didn't see him and walked in to Starbucks. He said, we, we bought our drinks and we had one of our kids with us. And we walked out hoping to avoid him again, and he ran over to us, and he said, hey, God told me to give this to you, and he gave them $5. They said they started to cry, because in this moment, they realized here they were trying to avoid, and someone was trying to bless them. And they called me, and they told me this story. Because this person goes to our church and it's Arthur who's sitting right down here on our front row. And they said, whatever you're teaching at Project Church, keep doing it. But I wanted to say, I want to say to you, Arthur, that wasn't because of us. That was because of what God's put in your heart. And I want to tell you, man, I know that God has, has had his hand on you. But the enemy has had you in bondage for too long. And I believe that God wants to break off some chains on you, Arthur, because I don't believe you're meant to be on these streets any longer. And you know we pray for you. And you know we believed and we've tried with you. But I just want to tell you right now, man, we love you. And I believe that it's not too late. I know you've thought at times it's too late, that you're never going to get out of the situation you're in. But God has to do some healing in you right now. He's got to break some bondage, some chains off you right now. And I want to tell you, that heart that God has put in you, that's something special. And that's something that we all could learn from, including myself. But I want to right now pray over you, Arthur. And I, I believe that for too long, man, you've been, you've been sleeping on these streets. And, and we, you know, you and I have we've tried to fix this situation. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to right now, like, God's got to break some things off. And you got to make some choices, Arthur. Just like you chose to love on those people and to give to them, he wants you to choose to step into the future. You've been stuck in the past for too long, man. He doesn't want you back there. He wants you walking into the future. And that's for somebody in this place too besides Arthur. He doesn't want you stuck anymore. So those of you that are around, Arthur, would you lay a hand on him? With the rest of you reach your hand towards Arthur? Let's just pray right now. I didn't plan this, but... Holy Spirit, we just invite you, if if the band would come back, we invite you into Arthur's life. God, you know he loves you, and yet there's some things that have had him bound up for decades. And so, Lord, I pray right now for a breaking off in this place. Lord, we've tried, we've taken steps, he's taken steps, and yet still these things have had a hold of him. And so, God, we pray for a breaking off of the bondage that's on him right now in this place. God, we pray that chains would break. You're the chain breaker, God. You're the way maker. You're the healer. You're the restorer. And, God, you don't want him on these streets any longer. God, you want him in a place of health. You want him in a place of protection. You are the God of protection. God, you want to put a roof over his head. So, Lord, we pray over his future right now. God, we pray that he would take the steps he needs to get the healing that he needs. But, Lord, it comes down to you. So, God, we surrender to you. We put our heart in you. We put our trust in you. God, right now I pray over Arthur that you would break off that which has had him in chains for too long. God, and may we all get a little of that heart that Arthur has. God, a heart of giving. A heart of generosity. A heart that sees others before ourselves. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. We love you, Arthur, man. We love you, brother. I'm just going to give you the last two points. Help constructively. I'm saying be wise in how you help. You know, sometimes we can want to help and we're actually enabling instead of helping. Sometimes you got to say no to people. Sometimes there's a family member that you've enabled for far too long. And you got to say, hey, I'm sorry. you got to figure this out on your own. Let's be constructive in how we help. We've been constructive as a church. We've connected with the downtown partnership because we've really asked them, how can we best help the homeless population in our downtown city? And they've told us not to do certain things that other churches come down here and do. Why? Because we want to help constructively. I'm not knocking these other churches. I think their hearts are in the right place. There's good intentions, but we need to talk to the right people so we can bring the right change. So help constructively where God has placed you. And last, invest eternally. This is it, man. It's about the gospel. I think that for a little bit in the church it became more trendy to trendy to to give and to help people than to meet their eternal needs. And I think we need both. We need organizations like Cowboy Hope that, that bring felt needs, but they also bring the gospel. Because let me tell you something. You could feed someone for a day, for a month, for a year. You could feed them for 10 years. But when this life ends, they're still poor in spirit. You see, somebody in this room, you may be rich physically, but you're poor spiritually and that's the gospel. Let me read this final verse for you. Second Corinthians 8 9 says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the gospel that there is a world that is poor not physically but spiritually they're poor in hope they're poor in joy they're poor in spirit they're poor in purpose they're poor in future and jesus said i became poor and took on your poverty so you could take on my richness so you could take on my riches so you could have riches of eternity you see we can meet a felt need in a moment but the gospel changes a life for eternity it sets our life on a trajectory forever and it gives us life and light to the fullest, even now here on this earth. And so, I gotta be honest, we, we're in a room full of rich people. You Americans, we Americans, we're rich, and yet some of you in this room are poor. You're poor of joy, you're poor in spirit, you're poor of hope. You're poor of purpose. You're poor of a future. And Jesus wanted to present to you the gospel, the good news. And it's this. I came and became poor so you could become rich. So you could have a future. So you could have a destiny. And so today in this room, if that's you, God wants you to respond. The Bible tells us it's this simple. All you have to do is confess in Jesus. Believe it in your heart. And you will become rich. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? If you're here, you say, Caleb, that's me. I'm poor in spirit. I'm poor of joy. I'm poor of hope. I'm poor of purpose. I'm poor of a, of a future. I need to receive the riches of Jesus, the riches that last for eternity. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Go, put it up. Right now, across this room, Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Hands going up all around the room. I see that hand. Thank you. You can put them down. Come on, church. Give God some praise for these people. Can we repeat this prayer after me, everybody in here? Say this with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, my past, my mistakes. Thank you for becoming poor so that I, could become rich, could take on your riches. I embrace you. I receive you. I love you. And I'll live for you, Jesus, with all that I am. In your name. Amen. Come on, let's give God one more praise for this. This is what it's about. This is the gospel and poverty versus prosperity at the end of the day, we're all poor until we meet Jesus, then we become rich. He makes I hope us this rich. word encourage you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento, but I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving. Uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com/backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you, and let's see what God can do through us.